Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is Andreas Wagner from Perfect Groove Software. But first of all, it's possible that streaming royalties for songwriters could actually go down. Every five years, the U.S. Copyright Board sets the rates that songwriters are going to get paid. And that time is coming around again, so it asks the streaming companies what they think they should pay. Now, word came out that they want the royalty to go down. And, of course, this was all over the news recently. It's already somewhere between a third and a fifth of what an artist makes on a stream, which isn't all that much. That being said, between 2018 and 2022, it's actually gone up 44%. So the last time this came around, there were some pretty good deals that were struck for songwriters. Now, of course, the National Music Publishers Association, they really want this to go up, and they're hitting this hard. So they would like one or all of the following things to happen. Either the publishers want 20% of the revenue that's coming into a streaming service, or 40% of what record labels and artists receive, or $1.50 per streaming subscriber, or 0.0015 cents per play. So that's basically a 15th of a cent per play. doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually more than what songwriters are getting right now. Now, here's what's unusual. We're never actually told what the rate is that the streaming services ask for. So there's a lot of articles out there that are claiming that they want this rate to go down. And most likely that's the case, but we don't know for sure. It seems like this is sort of a preemptive strike by the National Music Publishers Association in order to build up some steam here behind them to put pressure on the streaming services and the U.S. Copyright Board. Now, songwriters don't make enough from streaming as it is, and we'd all like to see that to be somewhat more equitable than it is now. So this will be interesting to see how it plays out. Again, this is what's going to happen between 2023 and 2028. So it's that five-year period that we're talking about that's coming up. Already the rate is set for this year and next year. But if everything goes right, songwriters will get paid more from streaming instead of less. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, Guitar Center is in the news again, or actually the financial condition of Guitar Center. Moody's credit rating agency actually elevated Guitar Center's credit rating from a B3 to a B2. And they said that the outlook, financial outlook, is stable. Now, this is way up from what it was when Guitar Center was at its worst. It was at a rating level of CAA1, which means pretty much stay away. Now, rating of B is well below investment grade, or as Moody puts it in their official ratings guide, are considered speculative and are subject to high credit risk. B2 is definitely an improvement, but it's basically an improvement from really bad to just bad. So Moody's went on 
say that it was really afraid of four things, what they called corporate governance concerns. In other words, there's a risk that the owners will play the same game that got Guitar Center into this mess in the first place, which is take out big loans to pay off investors and saddle a company with huge debt service costs. It's also somewhat concerned about the nature of the music business because, as it says, musical instrument sales and rentals is discretionary, meaning the instruments aren't a necessity and can be impacted by changes in the economy. It's also worried about intense competition. Now, that being said, Guitar Center is still the largest musical instrument retailer with more than $2.4 billion in revenue just in the last 12 months. So they seem to be doing fine. When you speak with manufacturers, they tell you that they're still selling just fine. They like doing business with them. A little crazy on the management side, but of course that's been the case for hmm, five years, eight years, nine years. Been the case for a long time. But people are still buying from them and they're still selling and they're still around. And they'll probably still be around for a while. My guest this week is Andreas Wagner, who's the head of software development for Rebe Innovation. Andreas is the main developer for the company's Perfect Groove software, which allows mastering engineers to emulate a fully cut vinyl lacquer. This allows mastering studios to optimize and prep audio files for the master disc cutting process and disc cutters to detect any issues in the cutting process before the lacquer is actually cut. During the interview, we spoke about the physics of what happens when a stick hits a drum, why a virtual lathe is needed today, how Perfect Groove fits with HD vinyl, and much more. I spoke with Andreas from his office in Vienna. You have a pretty neat background. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty diverse, I would say. So I, yeah, I've been working in the, in different parts of audio for 15 years now, I think, after university. So I, I studied media technology at university, which is sort of electrical engineering with focus on sound. And from there, it took me to Stockholm to write my master thesis on drum, on drums. So the this was more like an acoustic uh, look into the physics of what happens when the drumstick hits the drum head. That was a bit of a detour, but I was so uh, excited to go to Stockholm. <laughs> So I kept nagging until they let me go. And after this, I, I stumbled into acoustics, actually, and had the, the very fortunate possibility to work on big opera houses and theaters and concert halls for almost nine years, um, doing acoustic consulting for opera house acoustics and, and such things. But uh, at some point, my, my interest for um, bits and bytes rose again and I, I wanted to go back into programming more which i did as a hobby since i, I'm a kid, I was a kid um yeah so i left the, the acoustic scene and went into software development everything always tied together by by audio somehow and we we did a lot of work for undisclosed clients um with very very different things one was a mobile app which you could take to the to the big stadium we went to the los angeles um ice hockey rink and everybody could download the app and then all the the mobile phones would blink to a, or yeah would not blink uh yeah would 
sparkle to to a certain rhythm and everything was synced through uh, ultrasonic audio which was played through the speakers that was fun and at some point Günther came to our office and came up with this well told us about this crazy I would say crazy in quotation marks idea to to create vinyl record stampers with laser I was like okay interesting why do you need me and he said yeah hmm so we we take away the the cutting lathe for the cutting engineers so we need to replace this with a piece of software so we need somebody to write the mastering software for this hd vinyl process and that was really intriguing so we started on this and at some point i had the i had to make a decision either let the project go because he, he needed to take all the, the stuff in-house or leave along with the project so i decided to leave and joined Rebeat and since then I'm I'm here head of development for the wonderful perfect groove software what it's called I want to talk more about that in a little bit because it looks fantastic but let's just go back for a second to your thesis because that's unusual so you looked at the physics of what happens when a stick hits a drum what did you discover that most people don't know that's a good question that's well, my, I need to, to talk a bit more about it. My, my, my um, mentor for the thesis, or my, my professor there, was Anders Askenfeld. And he, he did lots of work on the physics of the piano. And what he discovered back then was that the, the hammer, when it hits the piano string, is bounced back or thrown back by the wave traveling through the string and coming back. And then the wave knocks the, the hammer away. And he was looking for something similar in, in the drum head, because there you have, again, a two-dimensional head vibrating. And um, we discovered more or less the same thing, that really depending on, on the wood of your, your stick and of the shape of the stick, the thickness, the, yeah, the grip, everything um, influences how the wave travels along the drum head and how it, it throws away the the stick head and you even if you if you have a stick or if you hit hit really hard the the stick will uh, vibrate itself and bounce back a little bit lose contact and then hit the surface again all in the fraction of a millisecond so there was uh, really a very very close look I'm I'm not sure if any musician can take away anything from this but it was uh, acoustics and physics and lots of measurements this was right up my alley <laughs> sounds really interesting thanks it was good. Well, let's talk about the Perfect Groove software. Describe what it is, first of all. I know what it is because I, I've watched the video and it's very impressive, but uh, describe what it is for people that haven't been exposed to it. Well, what it is for, let's, let's put aside the HD vinyl idea and the laser process for a minute and just look at the software. What it does, it emulates what your vinyl cutting lathe would do in a mastering or a cutting studio rather than a mastering studio so i think on your podcast or on your blog you have uh, you, you explained the the how how a vinyl record is made in multiple instances but um so what what happens is in in the real analog cutting world you go and cut your groove in into a lacquer disc and this is all in real time because it's all analog and yeah, you have to wait for it. And what we do is we emulate this cutting process. So we try to predict if you put in your digital audio, in this case, 
if you put in your digital audio and you, you set your lathe parameters as you would set them on the actual lathe, then the software will tell you, hey, your record will be about 90% full at this level and you can cut like this. But then we go even one step further and try to analyze the groove then. So we, we try to emulate what's happening if you would actually cut this with these parameters and then play it back. What happens to the audio? What happens to the needle? And for this, we, we do an emulation of the, again, physical emulation. So this is where my thesis comes in, into play a little bit. Um, we try to, to emulate the, the contact uh, between the stylus, reproducing stylus, and the groove. And we try to analyze the groove for where it's too wide, where it might become too narrow, things that you cannot really control or look at um, on an actual physical cut because it's just way too many grooves, way too many places. You can inspect them in some some parts and try to detect errors, but we, we can analyze the whole groove inch by inch or mill by mill and look for errors. And then we also try, as a final step, we try to emulate the, the analog sound, uh, what, what it would actually sound like. So what would the, the stylus reproduce if it would trace this groove? So if, it, if the groove uh, creates too high velocity in the stylus, for instance, then the stylus loses tracing for a little bit. bit. And this could cause some um, coloring of the sound or in the worst case, it would create a jump, so the needle would, would be kicked out. And yeah, in a nutshell, we, we try to emulate the cutting process, and help uh, analog cutting engineers to predict their cuts better and quicker, because um, the software tells you in a fraction of, of a minute how, if, if your disk is full, if it would fit on the, on the disk if you cut at this level, this is a process usually you would have to do a dry run on, a, on an actual cutting lathe and wait for 20-23 minutes until it tells you nope you're full sorry please lower the level yeah that's in a nutshell what we do it's especially important now with the fact that there's a lacquer shortage yeah i have to say i didn't pay attention too much how it worked out in the end but the apollo fire was a big disaster beginning of last year i think yeah and um you wouldn't necessarily waste a lacquer when to to discover that your disc is too full. You just do a dry run above the without cutting. But yeah, if if you would cut a groove which has a flaw somewhere which makes the needle jump, you lose this piece of lacquer and have to throw it away. It's a loss loss of money and loss of time and precious lacquer. Yeah, true. One of the things that I found interesting was it pointed out the errors. And you can go and see exactly where that error is because the color changes to red. Yeah. Yeah, this was a, a little fun programming exercise. Uh, so we, I go ahead and if, if, you, if you cut on a real lacquer lathe, uh, you have this microscope which you can peek through and see the, the groove up close. And we mimic this microscopic view as well. You can look up close at your groove and we use different color schemes to indicate um, high velocities or narrow groove width or issues like this. So yeah, it, it, it tries to illustrate the errors and it also gives you a list of errors where you might, might want to look. And in the current version, it just tells you where to look for problems and then you can go back to your mastering chain, which you trust, and we don't interfere with the audio. But in the next version, which I'm working on hard now, 
we also allow to, to do some basic filtering, like uh, reduce um, the base to mono with an elliptic filter or reduce some heights and stuff like this, just as a preview, what would help. So the software will tell you, hey, you might want to try this and you can try in the software and see if it helps actually. Ah, yeah. I felt that was missing when I looked at it, but it made a lot of sense because the mastering engineer wants to go and trust the signal chain or her signal chain. Yeah, this was my my, my first intention. Uh, I, I wouldn't dared, uh, I didn't dare to, to touch the audio and uh, say, here's a good set of filters because all the, I know all the mastering engineers rely on their set of, of equipment, be it in hardware or their selected range of plugins in, in software. Um, so this is why we never offered to, to change the sound, but we got some requests, not by people who really want to change it in the software, but maybe, huh, if you put in some basic filters, we can check out what would help and how much the amount would be we have to tweak. So we don't have to go back and forth all the time. And um, yeah, that's why we're putting in some, some minor editing tools. Yeah. Now the lathe that you emulated was a uh, Neumann VMS 80, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We, we work closely with Scott Hall worked and still work closely with Scott Hall and he has the, the Neumann VMS 80 and looking back, I'm really, really glad we started with the 80, uh, even if it's not so big in numbers around the world, I, I, I've, I lost track of how many there are. It's, it's not very many and there are more of the VMS, uh, 66 and 70. So the predecessor, but if we would have started with this, I would have maybe lost my hopes <laughs> that it's ever feasible because the VMS 80 is quite a beast and it's really has, it has its own tiny computer from the eighties, uh, which does the pitch control. So it nestles the groove really, really nicely close. And this is way less, let's say elaborate in the, in the 70 and the 66 so the older models. And so we, for the 80, I have a pretty good feel that our emulation is, is good. And for the 66 and 70s, there are so many third-party um, hardware modules which you can put in. So I'm, I'm I'm not sure if we ever can completely emulate the 66 and 70, but uh, this will be a next next step to do. Yeah. And how about the stylus? Which one? The reproducing stylus? Yes. It has an influence, and if you do if you do lacquer cutting, you usually have. Uh, or that's what I, I was told by Scott. I'm not a cutting engineer, but I, I've seen this in different cutting rooms. You have one or two or three turntables with different um, middle of the street stylus, maybe a, a high end stylus to, to check with. And this is how you, you pre-listen to your lacquer cut actually to see if, if it tracks on all these turntables. And we try to emulate different styli, styli, whatever. Um, Styli, and it's it's complicated. So I, I have to go back to this and and refine it a little bit. But it's quite interesting if you look close enough. What's what's really happening at the interaction between stylus and and groove with different diameters and different shapes. And then the stylus is not the only thing. Then you have the cartridge. You have a moving magnet, moving coil with different uh, masses going along and different precision of the aligning of the magnets. So you have different crosstalk and, and coloring and frequency um, frequency responses of, of these cartridges. And this is something we, we've put in the in the version 1.0 right now, so you, uh, but it's, it's hidden somewhat. So we, we use a fixed uh, eight micrometer 
um, elliptical stylus to trace to do the, the tracing emulation. But at some point, it, you will be able to choose different styli and uh, different cartridges to, to pre-listen on different systems. How does this fit in with the development of HD vinyl? Well, yeah, <laughs> it's an accident that happened on the on the road to HD vinyl. So the the perfect groove is the replacement for the cutting lathe for HD vinyl. So if you do an HD vinyl mastering, you still master your tracks, but you don't have the lathe anymore to to do the cut. But instead, you you upload the the final groove to a server or send it to us somehow, and then we create the stamper from this digital file. So the perfect groove is the idea to give you this virtual uh, lathe where you can do the layout. You have all the virtual knobs that you would find on your analog cutting machine. And it's, it was intended to give you control over the whole process like you have with your analog cutting machine. And then we, we presented the prototype of the software in 2019, I think it was. Yeah, it was 2019 in Berlin at a making vinyl conference and people were like well yeah this mm, hd vinyl thing might get somewhere at some point but the software looks interesting for me as an analog cutting engineer because it could help me to preview my cuts and help me save time help me save lacquers and this is how we we sort of took a detour while the hd vinyl is still under development we saw we thought hey Let's put out this software and adjust it and make it more compatible with analog cutting and help the analog cutting engineers on the way. So it's still the mastering tool for HD vinyl. And at some point you will be able, if you see your virtual groove and you have done all your checks, you'll be able to say export and then upload it to, to our server and we create the stamper from the file you presented. But for now, it's, it's a helping tool for, for analog cutting. There's not that many cutting engineers out there. Oh, they're getting more. <laughs> My point is, there's a lot of mastering engineers that send their work out. And this is perfect for them because they're just guessing. They have a standard. It's like, okay, I pulled the master down 3 dB, 4 dB, whatever it is, and I send it out. And that might not be enough. Yeah, there's, there's lots of young mastering engineers who want to master for vinyl. I mean, now vinyl is the most best sold physical product i think it, it overtook cd a couple of months ago so everybody wants to go out on vinyl as well and you're co completely right not all mastering engineers know what to do especially for vinyl and yeah we, we're trying to help them what we've learned i have to admit is that at the moment the the software is a bit too focused on the cutting process so there's too many knobs and dials and stuff which influence like second groove depth or uh, cut a safety groove, yes, no. This is things that a normal mastering engineer cannot answer and is probably overwhelmed. So <laughs> actually this morning I, I ripped apart our user interface quite a bit and we are adding presets for mastering. And so you say, I want to do this on this machine with this preset and you don't have to worry about all the, the finicky details and it still will give you a good good overview of, what, of what's going on in your master. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What's the price on this? I have to think. At the moment, I think it's uh, it's still on sale, and probably will ever be. Uh, $4.99 it is okay. at the moment. Yeah, that's reasonable, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's 
it's a piece of software. It's a standalone program. It's uh, we are four developers working on it at the moment. Now we just got joined by a fourth one, and it's a lot of work. It's really impressive what what the result can do for you. So I think it's it's worth the price. Especially like you say, there's so much interest in vinyl these days, and so much so that I just talked to somebody the other day that was very discouraged because they had a project and they couldn't get it pressed for four months. And I said to him, I think that's pretty good, actually. I've been hearing it six and seven. It's pretty amazing how it's backed up like that. Yeah, lead times. I mean, uh, talking to Scott Scott Hull, he was he was telling stories from the 70s where the, when they uh, put out, I don't know, four masters a day or something and put the lacquers away and got the, the preprints or the, the first test cuts uh, like two days later or something. That's... This was, but this was the high time in the 70s and everybody was doing vinyl only and everything was um, smooth in the vinyl processing line. And nowadays it's it's way slower. That's right. And this is also, I think this was the original, but Günther has to correct me. This was the original idea that Günther came up with uh, with the laser process and HD vinyl because he saw, I mean, uh, Revit is also um, in, in music production and music distribution and music distribution times or lead times for for getting something on vinyl is just totally bananas long and he thought this has to be possible to be sped up and nowadays i think there's not only a shortage on 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 lacquers but also everyone threw away all the good lacquer cutting machines in in the 80s or not the 80s but latest in the 90s everything went to the scrapyard and uh, today there's not so many left so you have this big queue of people who need a cut here and need a cut there and then you need the lacquers to cut and then you need the the um, galvanic processing and all this stuff and there's not many pressing plants left either so it's yeah it's it's a big bigger and growing market i was reading somewhere recently where it was not only that the pressing plants couldn't find enough skilled help because when COVID hit, a lot of them were, a lot of the employees were older and they just decided to retire and not come back. So now, even if you could find help, you have to find skilled help or train them up. So it's taking some time for that. Yeah, true. I mean, we, we bought, uh, in the beginning, so we, we need a different, for our stamper, we need a different mold where the, the, the stamper is, is held in for the pressing machine. And in the beginning, we we toured to, a, to an existing big, very big pressing plant in Europe and and tried to to cooperate with them, but this was a, a trip of I don't know three hundred kilometers or something. And then you go there, you you tune it, you you try your pressing, and then you go home with pieces of glass because everything went to pieces after a while. So we decided no, this is that's not feasible. We need our own press. So now we have our own press. And it's a steep learning curve until you get something out of this. I mean, we started with a classical nickel stamper, and now we are at a pretty good uh, reproduction. Well, let, let's say we, we can reproduce vinyl with a nickel stamper. And now we have to speed up this process to our uh, ceramic masters and it, uh, stampers. It's, it's quite a learning curve. And there's so many, I mean, it, it looks so archaic with steam going in and out and cold water going in and out. It looks like like from a steampunk movie. But this is how it's done. I mean, this is how, how vinyl is made. And I can totally see that the the older and more most experienced uh, pressing engineers or yeah, pressing plant operators 
uh, when they retire, they take away a lot of experience and you have to train the young guys to, to do the same thing. When I was teaching college, I took one of my classes to a very large replicator. They were vinyl, mostly vinyl at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to walk through and to see the process on a really large scale. And then I remember a couple of years later, we went back and only half of it was there and the other half was cassette all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, we went back and it was all CD and there was no cassette, no vinyl. And it just flipped. And obviously this would have been the early 90s, I guess, what would have happened, but it was pretty amazing. And of course, it's all, all that industrial knowledge that went away and all of the equipment. Yeah, you should go back now. I think now it has turned again because now the CD processing machines are all gone and replaced by vinyl presses again. So it's, it's reversing this process. Who would have thought? Yeah, quick anecdote. I went to to the Emil Berliner Studios in, in Berlin, a mastering studio, and uh, this was the old, I think, the old gramophone, Deutsche Gramophone uh, Studios. And Rainer, the, the Tonmeister there, hi Rainer, uh, he, he told me, yeah, hmm, I was asking for, for test records. And he said, yeah, we, we have a couple of test records in the basement. Let, let, me, let me check. So we went down and he said, yeah, we have a, a box or two. And he had these big, big cartons of, of test records and I took these out and one was labeled first stereo tests 1930 something wow. Like, wow and I took it out and it looked like it was it had been pressed yesterday it looked shiny new it's indestructible so I I think it's it's really reasonable that this is coming back because most of my CDs I can throw away now because they get these uh, CD cancer whatever it is so the yeah. The, the aluminum um, uh, layer gets gets broken. And if you take out a vinyl, I mean, I have a couple of vinyls upstairs uh, from my, in, inherited from my parents and um, they look like new. I mean, they've been transported and the, the whole packaging is, is damaged, but the, the lacquer itself, or not the lacquer, the vinyl itself is, is really good as new. I'm really happy that this is all coming back and the emphasis on fidelity is coming back because you can't go to vinyl unless you're upgrading your signal chain. But I remember, and I'm older than you, so I, I remember there was a time when I was in college where every dorm room had a great stereo. And that was just something that everybody had. You bought a really good stereo. Now, something that was kind of middle of the road and didn't cost that much back then is now something that everyone wants today and will pay big dollars to get. But th this was the norm. It was that like every college kid had their own really nice stereo. Yeah, I, rem I mean, I remember my first stereo, which was uh, I got when I was 15 or something. I woke up in the morning and my, my parents had placed it in secretly in my room and I was looking like, oh, cool, it's there. And I fell asleep again. But uh, it was one of these onkyo modular pieces so you had one module for the receiver one for the yeah. turntable one for the cassette deck and then over five or ten years everything was went to these compact things where i mean vinyl was out the door so you had the, your your compact stereo with tiny flimsy speakers and your cd integrated and everything was mostly hollow and there was nothing in there anymore except some some processors um I don't know. I don't know how this is coming back. Um, I mean, there's the, the high fidelity scene, 
where we have in, in Munich, where I'm based here, uh, we have this big, big, um, not conference, but uh, fair called, I forget what it's called, but it's a, it's a big high fidelity audiophile thing. And there you have all these crazy, crazy expensive speakers and uh, amplifiers, and then some special, special uh, uh, voltage treaters and stuff and gold plated USB cables. But the, your, your middle of the road average good uh, stereo set. I'm not sure if that's still available in all your, your electronic markets, which go down as well. I don't know how, how the future of this is, but maybe there's some, I mean, there's lots of USB enabled turntables now and turntable business is going up and I think you can find good turntables, but then you have to see where you plug them into and then you need a, a decent pair of speakers and everybody's listening on, on their, I don't know, um, iPhone today or tablet and or earbuds. Yeah, we, we, or earbuds yeah earbuds pretty great i'm a big fan but it's it's nothing com yeah it's it's different than comparing to a good stereo set yeah last question andreas what's the best piece of advice about audio or music or business that you learned along the way or maybe somebody imparted to you oh oh tricky question um my best advice would be don't listen to what everybody tells you. So if you if you love this piece of music or this piece of, if this tape that you inherited from your big cousin or something, audio cassette, with this mix from whatever in the 90s, is your, you love this the most and people tell you, no, 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 you should, you should go to Tidal because there you have the high fidelity, blah, blah, blah. And but you love to listen to this record in your sh uh, not so good uh, tape deck in your old uh, Toyota Corolla. Don't listen to anybody else. Just enjoy what you love in music. And if people tell you you're you don't you don't have it right, uh, don't care. It's it's. I, I mean, music goes just at least for me. I I can listen to a good piece of music in every circumstance through my iPhone in the morning in the hotel room. Uh, when I get out of the shower, that's my hotel speaker is the, the little glass they put in the in the bathroom. I put my iPhone in and that's my, my speaker for the morning. Uh, it sounds terrible, but it's it's the music that counts and it's not the reproduction system so much. You can find out more about Andreas and the Perfect Groove software at perfectgroove.com. That's perfectgroove, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find an Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyowinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Hey.